everybody, Robert with RC Archery, and you're listening to Archery Vision Podcast, episode number five. So in this podcast, this is this one's going to be a longer podcast than normal, and I say that because a lot of it is just, uh, it's going to be a, a recap. I haven't done one um, all week. I, I didn't have one out Monday. There was um, just some life is, you know, and stuff going on, so I didn't get one out and decided to wait, um, record one for Friday. There's lots of stuff that's happened and a lot of things that are coming up. So it's going to be a really cool opportunity to be a part of the Archery Vision, you know, deal. You know, I've always said before, you know, Archery Vision, I want that to be for everyone, for all of us, you know, for archery in general. And I think I'm, I'm looking at ways and trying to find ways to bring us all together, try to help build, um, you know, a platform there for everybody and, and to be able to give back. Because really, I mean, I'm doing this because of y'all. Uh, if you weren't watching my videos or looking at my Instagram posts and podca- you know, podcasting stuff or any of this, like I, I wouldn't do this. I mean, <laughs> there wouldn't be a need to, right? There wouldn't be an audience for it. So because everybody you know, is able to do that, I want to be able to give back and I want to say thanks. And I've looked at some other industries and other people in those industries that do certain things and trying to figure out how I can adapt them throughout our industry and, and what I'm doing here with my platform. And um, yeah, it's some exciting stuff. And what I'm going to be doing with it, and depending on when this podcast posts and when you listen to it, you may already know this, but I'm going to be doing raffles. And the raffles are going to be a pretty cool deal. So I've got some different ideas on it. I want to see if it catches on and probably grow and adjust and adapt this over time just based off feedback and how everybody is you know involved with this and what's going on with it but my idea with it right now and what what I'm gonna be doing going forward and what I'm gonna be starting today if you're listening to this on Friday when this comes out on the 17th is um, having three different ways of doing it and basically during the week my idea would be to have smaller items that I can raffle out and have you know, say $15, you know, buy-in for the raffle. That that gets you a spot. And there's 25 spots that I'm going to do, you know, as far as what I'm starting out here that will be available. So 25 people can enter this. I'm going to do this probably at 12 noon central throughout the week. I may change that time if y'all think another time is better. But that was my idea initially, kind of lunchtime for, you know, central time, maybe east coast and west coast a little bit earlier, but not too early. Uh, so it's only 10 there, but um, my idea is to have these be prizes from the 150 to $200 value range. You're going to put in the 50, you know, the, the $15 raffle, but then have, a, you know, an ability to be able to win 150 or $200 item. So somewhere in that range, but, um, and do more than one at a time. So for instance, today, we'll go over today and, and what I'm going to be doing on the raffle there. So I've got a True Fire Synapse release, the thumb release the Shrewd Optum Scope, the Hamsky Hybrid Target or Hunter Micro Rest, and then any set of Rogue Bowstring um, that you can you know, find on their website. Any of their models, they have multiple different models, but any of them on there that you would like. And that's gonna be the prizes for you to choose from. So whoever wins this will be able to choose from any of those prizes and that's what you'll get. I'll um, purchase it for you, I'll mail it to you, all you had to do was pay 15 bucks for it. So <laughs> I think that'd be a really cool way to kind of give back on that. And then what I would like to do is on Fridays, which I mean obviously the, the raffle today that I'm starting is on a Friday and, and it's not following the normal you know, way that I'm doing this, but 
looking forward at it, you know, next week and the weeks after would be on Fridays to have what's called Big Friday Giveaway. And on those, the prizes that you can win could be up to 500 or so dollars, somewhere around that $500 range. And tickets for that's $25. Um, you can buy in. It's a, you know obviously a little bit more that you can win, so it's a little bit more to buy in. There's 30 spots available, and you know again trying to launch this probably at noon and allowing whoever first come serve you know first come first serve basis. Whoever pays and and comes in first, I'll assign you your number. I'll do the random number generator. There's 30 spots. The winner of that will have several items to pick through that value up to $500. So I think that would be really cool. You're paying 25 bucks for the possibility of winning 500. And then the big exciting part of this is what I wanna do is mega end of the month or mega Fridays if it ends on a Friday, but just mega prize for the end of the month. And what I have envisioned for that and what I would like to do for that is to be able to raffle out a bow brand new bow and have some different items for you to choose from some hunting bows and some different uh, brands some target bows and some different brands and do it that way and on that one it would be most likely a valuation of a bow somewhere in the $1,500 range so somewhere in the thousand to $1,500 range brand new um, I'm gonna actually go into my local dealer I'm gonna video it all for YouTube. I'm gonna walk in, I'm gonna get the bow that you chose, whoever wins that, whatever model you choose. I'm gonna walk in, pick it up off their shelf, take it to the counter, purchase it, and walk out, and then I'll mail it to you. I think that'll be a really cool experience. One, I'm being able to support a local archery shop and kind of give back to my local community here by being able to purchase from them. And I think that's gonna be really helpful just to keep their doors open, help them with their um, archery, endeavors you know their league nights or being able to offer more there the one that i'm wanting to do is alvarado archery and if you're not familiar with them it's here in the texas dfw area i um, talked with one of the gentlemen from there over the weekend and they're wanting to start a kids league i think this can help fund their kids league and help give back to what they're doing so i think it's a really cool deal the idea on this would be the raffle would be a 50 dollars buy-in for the raffle you can put in your, you can buy up to three spots. So if you wanted to do it, you could go up to three spots on your own. Um, I'm thinking 50 spots available. So it still keeps it kind of small to where, you know, it's not you and 300 other people and there's not as good of a chance to win. I mean, it's you and 50 other people and you can enter it up to three times. And however that works out, as soon as it hits 50 and it's full, it's shut off and then you have the opportunity to be able to you know be drawn for that bow and i think that would be a really cool thing to be able to see i mean if you look at it there's models from bowtech and matthews and pse and hoyt elite all of those kind of fall into that that category of a thousand to fifteen hundred dollar range and some of them are a little bit more and we may do um you know specialty drawings throughout the the time to where you can win maybe a carbon bow or uh, top of the line, you know, flagship bow or something that maybe is closer to 2000, maybe do something different there. Um, and then I might, you know, I, I wouldn't have a problem expanding out to other archery ranges around here, you know, other shops if I wanted to that have maybe some different brands and different models. But um, I'd like to it now keep to my home archery range and, and because they're trying to do that kids program and a way to give back to them and do that. So That'll be posted 
on my Instagram. If you don't follow me already, it's R-C-R-C-H-E-R-Y. Same thing as what we do here. It's archery, um, R-C archery rather. And, um, you know, go on there, follow me. There's an ability to put alerts on there. So every time I make a post, it will actually send you an alert on your phone. If you want to do that, that's great. You'll be able to see that along with my other posts and other content that I put out there, obviously. But it would alert you for whenever we're starting that drawing so that you know, hey, like it's live. I need to go and do this. I'll put a PayPal link in my profile on my Instagram page. You can just click that link. It'll take it directly to my PayPal. You can put in your money, screenshot that so you have it for your records. Um, post on the, you know, comment on the post and say, you know, entered. And then I'll assign everybody a number based on when they enter and shut it down when everybody's done. And I'll probably adapt this and change it a little bit over time, you know, as needed and just, um, you know, make it what, what it needs to be. But, you know, starting out with some growing pains, but I want to do this. And, and I think, again, I think it's going to be a really cool deal. And I'll do a random number generator. It'll be a live video on Instagram. You can see exactly what's going on, totally and completely transparent. And um, I'll just go on my computer, do the live number generator, pull it up, uh, go directly to the person that won, announce it, and then I'll send you a private message and we can get together and I'll look for the shipping and everything. Kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, some other things I wanted to talk about. I want to give a Road to 300 update. I want to give a tournament update that I went into and then go over some listener questions as well. So again, this is probably going to be a little longer, but I think it'll be a fun one and it'll be worth listening to, especially on a Friday. Maybe you got some driving or something coming up this weekend and you'll have some, uh, some time frame to be able to listen to all this. But uh, Road to 300 update. So I've shot a 300. I've actually shot a couple of them now um, throughout me shooting. And uh, so kind of I made it and it's exciting and it's great. And I wanted to kind of go over what got me there, what I'm still working on and focusing on to make it more consistent and kind of looking at new goals and talking through the goal setting standpoint of it too. So the biggest thing that kind of pushed me right over the edge was having a soft release hand and then the way that I was aiming and holding on target and just the the connection in my brain. And what I mean by the the soft release hand was as I'm drawing the bow back, I'm actually allowing the fingers in my release hand to be more relaxed and soft. So I'm actually feeling the release pushing into my fingers. For me, I use a hinge, I use a two finger hinge, and I really felt it more on my index, my thumb as I'm drawing it back, and there's not a lot of pressure on the middle finger, and that's just how I prefer to do it. And then as I'm anchoring, I'm engaging the middle finger a little bit more as I let off that thumb peg, and that gets me to the click. For me, I need that middle finger engaged, but I don't want it I don't want it too engaged because if you get too much pressure on it, then it's harder to allow the natural rotation of that hinge to kind of rock and roll from my index to my middle finger and kind of to operate and work the right way. So what I'm doing with that is is you know, by allowing that hand to be soft, I'm really like from a feel standpoint trying to explain it to you what I'm feeling is holding on target and getting to the the tension needed to hold steadiest on target and then trying to maintain that and increase it just a tiny bit that increasing of that tension of me pulling back a little bit on my release hand i can actually feel the release pressing more and more and more into the soft tissue of my fingers 
So it's kind of depressing that tissue in my fingers as I'm pulling back. And what that's allowing the release to do is actually rotate and work. And because that middle finger is a little bit engaged but not fully, it's allowing that release to rotate. So as I'm pulling, that release is actually rotating, but I'm not physically and mentally having to, to look at relaxing any part of my hand or tensing up part of my hand or curling something or whatever. So for me, it's just more seamless mentally. It's less for me to think about. It's less for me to focus on mess up or try to get jumpy with over time. It's literally just maintaining my hold on target and allowing that shot execution to happen. And that's the other part of it that was really big too is the way that I was looking at my aiming and my holding on target and realizing more and more and more that I had to um, let go of trying to make my shot happen and allow it to happen. So what I mean by that is getting on target, trying to oversteady my pin and then, you know, really feeling like I'm pulling my release arm back and trying to get that shot to happen. When I did that, my my scores were not as good as what they could have been. And I had some bigger misses that I shouldn't have had. And when you do that, you kind of get kind of jumpy and your brain is trying to over control things. Your body is trying to over control things. Your subconscious is an incredibly powerful tool. If you let it work for you, it's a lot better. Just meaning that your subconscious can run so many more things at a time than your conscious brain can. You can't, you can only really hyper-focus on one area. And you can focus on multiple areas, but it's not a hyper-focus, so it's not as efficient in certain situations. But your subconscious can hyper-focus on multiple different situations, and basically, if you're looking at it like a computer, it runs that program in the background without you realizing it's happening you know, thousands of things going at once. So for me, if I can build the tension, hold on target, and then try to maintain that hold on target, which is why I call myself, you know, an, uh, you know, an aimer, I guess. It's just, just trying to maintain and hold that on target and then create the tension and then slightly increase it, but not intentionally, just trying to hold it and keep my body in place and just you know, letting it be there, I can execute shots amazingly well. And my subconscious is allowing my body to align itself to where it's in the middle of the target and it's working at the right time and, and I'm just getting out of its way. And I'm allowing that shot to happen. And I think that was a huge part of getting that 300 and getting, I mean, obviously getting those last few points, but for any archer, that's gonna be huge no matter what skill level you're at. And just working on that skill in itself is really gonna allow you to start creating an advantage over you know the competition or over even just yourself and your previous scores, you know, and, and grouping. So I think that's something you really need to look into and really need to uh, focus on and try to get proficient with because I think that's gonna help you the most. And that was, I mean, that's just kind of a, a mental thing that I've researched and known just through psychology and, and that part of it and, and understanding how our body works. But it's also things that have been written about and talked about by other archers too, and, and other forms of competition as well, obviously. But just from the archery side, Terry Wonderlay um, has a book out, talks about it in his book. Um, you know, other archers, John Dudley, um, 
kind of getting out of your own way, Braden Galantine, just different people like that, those names and those people, a lot of them, that's what they're doing. And they're trying to get out of the way of their own self to be able to execute shots cleanly. And it just helps you be more consistent. So it's something to look at that way. Goals now, I want to hit consistent 300s. I'd like to be able to get them 99% of the time. You're always going to have a bad shot here and there. It's just going to happen. Um, but really what I'm looking at now and what I'm focusing on now is looking at, um, people call it aim small, miss small, not really hyper aiming or doing anything different, but the target that I'm looking at is X count now. And I'm at generally around 22 ish X's. Um, that's a good game for me right now. That's my high. Uh, that's my personal best 322. And what I'd like to do is be able to get to that 25 X count. And that's my next goal trying to focus myself into getting to a 25x, seeing what I need to do on my shot, maybe adjust equipment, who knows, um, just you know, working towards it. And then from there, I wanna go 27x, and then I wanna look at 29 and 30x's. I really want a 30x game and, and to get perfect. And I'm not giving myself a timeline on any of this because I think that's gonna be um, over stressful, and I don't think that's productive for what you're doing, but that's my goals. And I think, a lot of people you'll find that when you're setting goals, you need to set multiple goals in a row and look at one at a time. But if you just set one goal and you put your heart and soul into getting to it, so if I had just set a goal for a 300, once I got to a 300, I would have just said, oh, I made it. Now what? It may be I stopped shooting or maybe I relax or and it gets worse and I digress. So I don't. I don't want that to happen, and I, you know, you see that a lot. I mean, especially in in high-level athletes that have a, you know, I want to make it to the Olympics, and they get there, and they they're there, and they do it, and then it's over, and then it's almost like a depression mode because they don't have anything else to work for. So for me, I'm always working, and I'm always looking for new goals, and and I'm always going to the next goal. And if I put up, you know, knowing going into it, I wanted to get to 300 again, but I knew that. I wanted to get to a 25x and then a 28 and then a 29.30. I already knew that goal and I wanted to do it. Um, honestly, I think the 30x goal is an incredibly long-term goal for me. And that's something that I'll be pushing towards for a long time. When I get close to that 30x goal, I'm going to have to recalibrate what I'm doing and try to figure out what goals are at that point. If I'm shooting 30x's and I'm able to do that, I think my goal is probably going to be to find a way to fund me being able to go to Lancaster and Vegas and indoor nationals and, you know, Midwest open. And I, you know, I want to go do that. And I don't want to go as just a flight guy at Vegas. Like I'm going to go as a pro and I'm going to go and do it the right way. But, you know, I want to get somewhere in that realm and I don't know where that realm may be. Um, obviously if I'm shooting 30 X's, I'm going to, I think that's going to be my goal and that's what I'm going to be doing. If it's realistic again, I don't know when I'm going to be done with 30 X, but, um, you know, maybe even something that I look at at the 27, 28x mark and just throw my hat in the ring and go out there and see how I go, you know, and, and just see what I'm doing. But it's going to be more consistent and looking at ways to push myself and put myself into pressure and see how I do there. And then, you know, probably goal related based off how I'm shooting into pressure and trying to relax myself. And I think that'll be a big deal. But that actually kind of segments into, you know, the next part that I want to talk about here, and that's our... We call it SIWAT, and it's uh, Shoot Your Way Across Texas. So the acronym for that is S-Y-W-A-T, SIWAT. And um, what that is is it's indoor five spot, and 
it's a marathon, 60 shots. I mean, it's a, it's a marathon, right? And it's uh, at a blue face. It can be incredibly boring, but it can also be a lot of fun, depending on how you look at it and how you're going into it and a challenge. And I haven't shot a 60X round yet, so I mean, it's not that boring to me yet, but I want to talk about last weekend and go over a situation there and then kind of how it all finished up. And um, kind of what happened is I really, I, I felt great going into it. It was the Arlington ISD round. Really cool round. Love doing those. Try to do both of them every year. The proceeds that you're putting into this tournament goes back into their school. They have a NAS program there, and the proceeds go back into the program at the school. And I think that's awesome. I'll definitely go give them money. And, you know, even buy a shirt, buy something from the concession stands, whatever, you know, just I mean, it's for a good cause. I want to see as many kids involved in it as possible. And they're, uh, they're pretty serious about it they go and they compete and they win and it's a really cool program in that school so um fun round they have tvs up you know where it's focused on the target it's pretty cool looking i posted about it i've got a video i've had posts over the you know over my instagram channel last year or two and um really cool go back and look at those check it out but i uh, went into it and was feeling really good i actually wasn't very nervous for a tournament uh, mostly because I was confident in myself because I knew where I was at. I was shooting 300s at home. I was at that range, you know, of score before I went into that tournament. So I already knew going into it, like, hey, 360 on this is possible. I'm not going to focus on that because I'll, you know, tense up and it'll be a problem. But 55 plus X's on there is attainable. And that's where I'm looking at. And, you know, the, the way they break it up on your scorecard is... They break it up into sections of um, five ends and, or hold on, is it five ends? No, I'm, I'm dumb. Four ends, because there's 12 ends total. Four ends at a time, right? So I got through the first quarter, or the first third of the, the first four on there, the first third of the round. And I ended up dropping one X through the first, um, you know, four ends and I mean, for me, 20 shots, drop one X, not great, not horrible, but I mean, I was excited about that. I mean, just dropping one out of all that. The ones that were hitting were pretty clean. A lot of them were inside out, so I was feeling good about my shot, doing well. I had sided my bow in well, and it was, you know, kind of having fun. I actually, um, again, I don't shoot a lot of practice ends. I shoot our two official ones work on getting my sight dialed in and then the first end of scoring i was still i, I bumped my sight two clicks um, i think i was one to the right and one up because i was hitting a little high right so i um i did that the first end and um kind of was going through that and then the x that i dropped that first the first four ends the one that i dropped was actually just my own mental issue and what happened was I got there and I was checking my sight by being able to glass the target and adjust. And I got myself into a situation where the half of the building that I was on, everybody was cleared off. There was an archer that walked off and I still had two shots left. I had plenty of time, but I still had two shots left. Um, then I didn't look around and pay attention enough. There was archers on the other half, the other side of the building that were still shooting. And I didn't realize that, but I don't know, in my brain, I, I, I was like, man, I'm the only one up here. I need to rush. I need to get this done. And that's a stupid way of thinking. 
And then, you know, the, the first shot, I, I did kind of rush it. I hit an X. It wasn't super clean. And then I was like, hey, that's dumb. Like, you're up here. You have time. Why rush? Let's just do this. And then I got up there, and I'm, I'm working through my shot. And I don't know. You kind of get that feeling where all eyes are on you, whether they are or not. And it kind of gets to you. And that's what I let it do. And I just let it get to me. And I got a little weak in my shot, a little timid, trying to over-aim. And dropped an X, low right, collapsed. And, uh, you know, just kind of laughed a little bit about it afterwards. There's really nothing else you can do. I don't want to get mad about it. I'm just going to laugh it off and be like, hey, I messed up. I'm not going to let that happen again. Especially considering after I shot that, I looked around and there were still people on the line down at the other end. I think there was like three people still left besides me. And I was like, oh, stupid, whatever. Um, but it happened, right? So I was fine. Went into the next four ends. And the first end was fine. Five X's. And then the next one that I shot, I had a four, which if you aren't familiar with the blue face, it's kind of like looking at the eight ring on a Vegas face or getting out into the red on a world archery face. And I mean, it wasn't real far out in the fours. I mean, it was out there though. And I just, I looked at it and height wise, it was perfect, dead center of the target, but just right. And it happened on my, uh, third shot of that end, I dropped another X. Uh, you just mentally kind of got to me like, hey, what happened? Why did I shoot a four? What was going on? The pin was in the middle. Shot broke well. It felt good. And then, wow, it hit way off. Um, the other X that I got that I missed, it was kind of close. I, I mean, I don't know. It, it was there, right? And got to the target, pulled it, started checking equipment because, again, it kind of felt weird about that. Um, but I was bottom line so I was next up right after pulling so I didn't really get to check everything over real well shot another end um, dropped another X kind of had an outlier um, it was in the five but it was out there and then I had another one in that end that was really close that if I was still shooting a 300 and hadn't dropped that for the end before I would have probably called a line judge over or asked our group like hey can everybody look at that because Personally, I thought it was touching the line that was kind of chewed up right there where it was at, but it was called out and I just let it go because again, I shot it. I wasn't shooting a 300 at that point, so it didn't matter to me. I mean, it wasn't worth arguing over, right? Because in my brain, I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. And I knew I wasn't going to turn that score in. It takes our top three scores throughout the season. And I mean, there's no use in me turning that one in because 299 is not a top three, three score for me. Um, so... That happened, and then um, I think the next end, I had another X drop, and then right after that was the last end in that, that middle four, and I shot my third arrow, and <laughs> it sounded funny when the shot broke. The arrow sounded funny going downrange, so... And it hit way off. It didn't hit a four, oddly enough, but it hit off. It missed the X and it just sounded funny. And I kind of, I've heard that sound before. And as soon as it happened, I was like, huh, I know that sound. All right. Shot my other two, clean, fine. Looked at, uh, walked down there to pull my arrows, pulled that arrow out. Sure enough, one of the fletchings was gone. Walked about halfway back down the range, um, going back to the line. And the fletching was 
up against the wall about 20 feet to the left. It flew off mid-flight. But that was kind of mystery solved at that point. And as stupid as that was that I'm not checking fletchings, like I checked my knocks, I bent my arrows, checked my tips, I spun the arrow, I never thought to check the veins because I've been using these arrows for several months, never had a problem, everything, you know, the adhesion was fine. I don't shoot groups with them. Never, never in my wildest imagination thought to look, but I looked over at the archer, you know, that was on the line with me is, you know, a guy that I'd like to say is a really cool guy that's kind of gone back and forth with me the last two years on scores. And we just ended up being next to each other on the line. And I looked over at him, I was like, hey, no, I shot by four. <laughs> we laughed and we were like, hey, you know what happens? He had had equipment issue with a rest um, earlier in the year. So, I mean, it, it happens. Crazy, unfortunate time, but it happens. And I... Um, I took that arrow, put it down with my stuff off the line, took the vein, put it in a bag, someone had taken it home, and um, you know, traded it out. And from there, the last four ends, I uh, was fine. Inside out X's all the way through. Last end of the tournament, I um, had my AirPods in, just kind of off of my own world. You know, it's, it's more fun for me at that point. I'm hanging out, talking to people, shooting. It was a good time. There was a guy there that uh, was shooting next to me, had his dog with him. It was a really cool dog. It would sit right next to him when he shot and, um, you know, just trying to have a good time with it and enjoy it. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not worth getting mad and ruining your day or, you know, being a rage monster or anything like that. It happens. You move on. Next week, it's going to be different. And uh, that uh, last in, I dropped an X on the second to last shot because I just wasn't focused. And uh, I actually had a, a song that I like come on over the airpods and i'm i'm shooting a shot getting my arrow and i'm mouthing the words of the song kind of like i'm into it right and i'm not i'm not focused so i, I missed a little bit out and um then the last shot I, I nailed it inside out x again and um but looking at it from that standpoint i dropped two x's besides the one that mentally got messed up after the four and then the ones that were caused by the arrow that was the vein coming apart i'm not gonna get mad at that that's a pretty good day for me um, I'll take that and, and look at that as momentum going into this weekend that's coming up or I'm going to go to another one and then the weekend after that and after that. So just momentum going through. It was fun. And, um, yeah, so I ended up taking the vein and, uh, I took my scorecard that I brought home. Uh, I turned it in, but I, I told him, I said, I'm not counting it. So it's, it shows incomplete on there, but I, um, I took the vein and the scorecard. I keep all my cards, kind of mount them up on the wall. I kept my targets the first year that I did this with the scorecards, just kind of a fun thing. And uh, now I'm just keeping scorecards, but I, I attached it all together. Wrote on, on the vein, you know, this one, this one cost me X's or a four or whatever I put on there. I don't know now, just kind of as a funny reminder to look back on. And um, I don't know, you got to get some positive out of it. But I posted that picture on Facebook or on Instagram rather of the, the vein, the veinless arrow, the the three out of four veins. I should have four vein, four fletch, and I had three. And um, I mean, I didn't think anything about it. I wasn't trying to get attention from it. I wasn't looking at it any certain way. But um, AAE, you know, credit to them. They they saw the post. Uh, Gaius Carter, he's their marketing guy there. You might know him from watching uh, some of the live feeds from Grib when he does like their Christmas camp or 
you know, some of their, their shoot downs and stuff like that that he's done and, and filmed live on Facebook. He's been there. He's a, he's a Hornet, and, um, or he was. I assume he still is. I don't know how that program works for sure, but I would think for people like him, once a Hornet, always a Hornet. And, um, you know, he's a real cool guy. Uh, I've talked to him in the past. He's, um, and I mean this in the nicest way possible. So if anybody hears this, Gaius, if you hear this, Drake Poole, if you hear this, a lot of the the way that he talks and, and our messages back and forth and his sense of humor and everything reminds me like of a mini Greg Poole. And, uh, you know, like that that kind of sense of humor. And, and if you're... Um, if you're thick-skinned and, and if you like that kind of that sense of humor, it's 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 cool to talk to people like that. But he saw the post first, um, commented on it, kind of reached out to me on it and wanting to see what my process was for my fletching and talked to me, you know, about it and try to give me some pointers, you know, and, and a better idea and told me to private message him. So I did, which I think is really cool. Uh, I'll learn from people like that that are that are producing the veins and putting them out there like they know best, and I. I sent him a message and said, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's my process. Here's what I'm using for materials. And uh, you tell me what's best. And I have no problem adapting to that and changing it because while I really have never had a problem with fletches sticking, and some people have with AAE fletching, but I've never had that issue. Um, you know, this one obviously came off and, and my process is not as good as it could be. So what do you do? And it wasn't long after that that AAE's Instagram page itself commented on that. I have no idea who runs their Instagram page, um, but they were really cool. Commented on it. Um, you know, I told them I was like, you know, hey, you know, guess I sent him that private message. We're already kind of talking back and forth. Thanks for you know commenting on here too. They said no problem. He'll get you fixed up with a good process. I'll let him know. We're gonna send you out a pack of veins, and we're gonna send you out our. Um, I don't know what, what he called it now, sorry, but basically their fletching kit. And I thought that was just, that was super cool because I didn't ask for that, I didn't need that, I have no problem going, it's it's not like I'm gonna be, you know, like, ah, oh, A sucks and I'm never gonna buy their stuff again because a, a vein flew off at a tournament. Like, I wasn't shooting for 50 grand in Vegas and if I was, well, shame on me, I should've checked my stuff better and made sure it worked better before I went. So, I mean, kinda shame on me anyways, but you know, whatever, like, I'm not mad. and. Um, but I, I thought that was really cool, and and he did. Uh, Gaius messaged me back, told me the process, said, you know, what's your address? We're gonna send this out to you, and you know, I'm gonna get that and, and refletch my arrows and kind of report back. But I want to talk about it on this podcast here and and tell you what he told me as far as the way to do it to get the best results. And if you followed AAE and looked at their stuff and, and gone through it, it's nothing new. They've talked about this before. And there's a couple parts. Well, there's one part that I've never heard talked about before. I'll, I'll say that. And I might have missed it, but I've never personally heard it. So I thought it was really cool. It's revolving uh, glue types. And then, um, you know, just kind of go over the full process. So two things that I was doing differently. One of them from what he said to do. And one of them is the type of glue. And then one of them was the wipes. I wasn't using wipes. And I didn't use the wipes because I was using wraps. And... I don't know, I never thought about it. The same with the wrap is not with the wrap, but I can totally understand where they're coming from and it makes sense. So I'm gonna go through it. Basically what they're saying is, um, what you need, obviously veins, you need their primer pin. It's an acetone primer pin. That primer pin helps 
break down the material of the vein and open, basically think of it as like opening the pores up. You know, like think of it as pores on your skin. It's opening that up. It's softening that material. It's allowing the glue to adhere to it, soak into it, and create the bond. And that's a big part. One thing they did say is you can't try to rush this and streamline it where you're putting the primer pin on a whole bunch of veins at one time and then fletching over the course of, you know, of time. It dries out and it really, the, the effect of what you're using, what are you wanting to do with it, it goes away. So... For me personally, I'm not an archer shop. I'm gonna do one at a time. I'm taking the vein out. I'm putting it in the archery jig that I use. Me personally, it's Fame Master Pro from Last Chance Archery. Um, now, there's some things to be said about that. Um, you know, on a side note, and I'll get to that in a minute. You know, when it, when I'm talking about my process, but just for you to think of too. But um, putting the vein in there. You know, and, and then I'll use the acetone pen or their primer pen on it. And then I immediately let it dry. And as soon as it's dry, it's glue. And then it's going into the jig and being fletched. But that's just kind of give you an idea. I don't waste that, that time of, you know, putting it on there because I want it to work. But uh, back to the process side of it. Basically, again, I use wraps. So put the wrap on. After that's on there, they said take the wipes that they have and wipe down the wrap because there's oils um, from just the material of it, you know, people handling it, printing it, using it. And what he also told me is those wraps, the, the wipe on there will help prime the wrap to allow the glue to do the same thing, kind of soak into it and adhere to it and bond to it so that you can really put everything together and get it on there. And I mean, that's something that I wasn't doing and I think that's probably the breakdown of what I'm looking at there is really just that wrap, you know, and what I'm using on there, the, you know, just material not allowing it to stick very well. So, um, once that's done, get it in the jig, don't touch it. And then go through the vein process, put the vein on there, use the, the, the primer pin on it, the glue next, that's the other part that I'm going to change. And, and what he explained to me, I use, I, what I've used for a long time now is Loctite Ultra Gel, that control gel. Gel glues have already been slightly pre-cured. So the ability for them to sink into the vein material and into the wrap material and adhere all that together is compromised a little bit. There's applications where this will be fine to use, obviously, but when it comes to veins and arrows and attaching them, a non-gel style glue sounds like it would work better. Uh, it's a little bit stronger, a little bit more potent. It's not as diluted. That's the other side of it. So the AAE Max Bond Glue, that's a perfect one to use. I've got that in the past. I actually got it before I was gonna make the arrows that the vein flew off and then the, the order that I put in, not from AAE, it was from another company, but it was that AAE glue. The, the tip of the glue had been compromised and it, the entire bottle dried out and it was all stuck together. I didn't have time to worry about it, so I just grabbed Old Faithful Ultra Gel and just rolled with it. But I'm gonna use that. That sounds like it could be different. And then for me with the Veinmaster Pro, the wires, don't quite hold the vein on as well as you would hope for. So I like to put a little bit of pressure down on the midpoint of the vein with my fingers and I leave that on there. Typically I found around 15 seconds 
at least with the, the ultra gel that may change but around 15 seconds holding it on there it's on there well enough that i can pull the the jig off it's not loose it's not coming off nothing bad's happening so that's kind of the process on it but that's what it told me as far as using the wipes obviously using the primer pen and then using a non-gel glue and why all of that makes sense and i thought that was really cool i wanted to pass that on it's good knowledge to have probably put that in instagram post and on facebook or on a youtube rather too but y'all are going to hear it first here on these podcasts so i think that's really awesome to look into and really you know to be able to do in the future so passing that information on letting you know all right guys listener questions some of these are from instagram and some of them from patreon so if you didn't know i have a patreon channel it's um a way to give back to allow me to be able to do things like the raffle that we talked about before to where I can afford to be able to pay for items and keep the raffle low, the price to buy in low. Um, it's ways for me to get products to be able to do reviews, better products for podcasting, for videos, you know, just all of that. And um, there's different levels. One of them is just a thank you. It's a $2 package. One of them is a $5 that allows you to be able to ask questions on it for these podcasts and it's priority basis. I will always answer those questions in the podcast where you don't have to wait and you don't get skipped over. And then there's a $10 one, same thing. I'll answer your questions, obviously that comes along with it, but then you get some discounts for like my coaching and then just, you know, some other things that go into it too. And all that's on there. You can find it Patreon and look up RC Archery, R-C-R-C-H-E-R-Y, and it's all there. So let me start out with these questions and, you know, just kind of roll through this. So Elite Archer 75 asked me, tips on holding steady and tips on follow through with your bow arm. So the way that I look at this is... I'm, I'm going to go through the follow-through the follow through first. It's a little bit easier to go through. It's a quicker one to get to. Your follow-through is a byproduct of your shot. And whatever your follow-through and your movement when that shot breaks on your release arm and your bow arm, that's directly showing you what you were doing prior to the shot happening. If the arm drops, you didn't have any tension in it. Um, maybe you were high on target. You were relaxing the arm, trying to get back to the middle even subconsciously, and the arm is dropping some. If it's going up, the opposite left, right, could be some issues going on, you know, just looking at it that way. So the follow-through on your bow arm is directly relative to what you're doing with your shot. That is part of the holding steady part. And for me, holding steady is creating tension in the body, and that's having a little bit of a push towards target and a little bit of pull away from target in slow increments till my pin steadies up the most. I run a front-weighted stabilizer system to where I have to hold the bow up. It's not a ton, but it's enough to where I'm engaged to hold the bow up because I found, for me personally at least, that that gives me a direction for the energy and it's more consistent. It's not just being on there kind of neutral to where maybe the arm is dropping or raising or whatever. It's allowing me to, to do something with the muscles to hold me steadier. Um, the other side of holding steadier is, well, let me talk about the bow arm again. That in conjunction with your follow through, if you're pushing a little bit towards target and you have natural points of aim already set up, which is what I work off of, 
I set myself up and the archers that I work with for their natural point of aim left and right and up and down. And I do that different ways, but you know, your stance is huge, controls your hips, it controls your shoulders. That's the bow arm. That's your left and right. I do it differently than what a lot of people say to do. I work off of a drift platform and trying to eliminate as much drift as possible. So if you hold long, you have a better chance of staying in the middle. If the shot happens early, you have a better chance of already being in the middle. And then the vertical side of it, loop height, the way we're pulling, the length of the loop, the leverage over the bow, all of that, trying to combine that together. Some of that's a computer program that I have designed that shows the lengths needed, the leverage points. Some of that's working with the archer to know what they're seeing and feeling and guiding them on how to adjust for that and, and adjust the length on the loop for that. Um, you know, all that kind of plays in there. And then when that follow through happens, if you have that natural point of aim on target and you're focusing more on holding, you know, it, it, on the midpoint and just allowing it to float around, the arm should stay pretty still at, at release on the majority of your shots. You're always going to have it move in certain directions one way or the other, because that's just going to happen because we're human and we vary, but it's kind of a way for you to look at that and, and see what you're doing follow through wise. So I would look at that and tips on holding steady is the correct stance, correct draw length for the shoulder to work in a natural position when you raise the bow arm up from your side it needs to be the same with the bow without the bow. The draw length being micro adjusted as your skill level increases. So, um, you know, I've talked about in the, in the past, half inch may be fine. You may need to get down to a quarter inch, eighth inch, 16th, 32nd, who knows where you're at, what you feel, what you see, micro adjust. Same thing on the loop. And then the way that you're shooting your shot, your execution matters a lot. And then your brain just letting go, like I talked about earlier on my road to 300 part, is just allowing the bow arm in your body to create that tension and maintain that tension and hold it there, but understand that sight pin's gonna move and don't worry about that just allow it to move and if you'll if you will just shoot some shots and allowing it to move and, and learn to trust that it's still going to hit in the middle or around the middle the better your trust gets the more beautifully centered shots that you'll see with those arrows downrange, and you'll start to trust it more and more and more it's an ongoing battle i still frust you know frustrate myself with it and work with it and, and focus on it but that that would be how i look at it as far as the holding steady on target uh, JWEL7704 asks, same bow but different setups from indoor 3D, stab weight, scope pins, etc. So using the same bow for different things and it's not ideal, I can tell you that. You're going to either be moving things around a lot which can be, it can get really in depth if you're using multiple size arrows. So if you're using like um, big arrows indoors, small arrows outdoors. I mean, you're moving rest around. You can mark everything, get it back. It's not always going to be 100% perfect. I don't personally like doing that, but I know it's a natural thing to do sometimes. Um, I don't know. I try to keep it as close as I can, or I look at what game am I going to play most, and I set my bow up for that. And then I try to get, you know, some sacrifices maybe there. Like I shoot indoor the most, dabble with 3D. I shoot known in 3D. I can take my setup the 26s and i can put 23s on my bow i don't have to move my rest at all it just worked out to tune really well because of the way that i set the spine up and adjusted the arrows and tuned it and then i just work off point of impact on my sight 
probably isn't the best method. The rest probably needs to be adjusted a little bit more for absolute accuracy. But I can shoot a 300 with my 23s on a Vegas face just like I can my 26s. So I'm not sacrificing a ton that way. I get a little bit more speed. Um, it's a little smaller arrow so I can sneak it in there on the 3D targets. You know, it kind of helps. But I use sight setting for indoors. I just look at the numbers, have it written in my phone, know what it needs to be, and then I get a sight tape with the 23s for 3D. That's kind of the way that I work with that and use that. I use the same stabilizer weightings, you know, all of that. Like the stabilizer weightings, I don't change because I set it up for what holds best for me and then it holds best for me everywhere. I don't go extreme on my stabilizers. If you went extreme on an indoor stabilizer weight setup, you probably need to change it for when you go outdoors if you have up and downhill shots because the bow is going to want to twist and pull and torque, you know, in, in weird ways. But I don't do that. So I don't have as many issues. Um, my scope, my pin setup is the exact same. I don't shoot world archery around, so it's easy for me. I don't have to worry about the light rule. So I shoot my indoors with a Zero's sight light. I, I use a clear fiber 19 pin. I can adjust the lighting on it, the brightness, which is one thing I did in Arlington this week. I went down on the brightness from shooting outdoors, which my indoor practice is outdoor-ish. A um, little bit more light that helped me get the consistent sight picture right at first the pin looked huge and I couldn't see what I wanted to see I can drop the brightness down it, it takes the, the overall size of the pin down with what I'm perceiving with my eye and it was easy I do the same thing with 3d and sometimes that needs to change target to target because if you get a really dark target yeah, I mean, you know, a really dark area in the woods, you may need to adjust it. And then if you get out, you know, in a brighter area, you may need to adjust it again. So that's good for me. Um, scope, I use a 29 millimeter. I use the Shrewd Mini Mag indoors. I can use it for 3D. It's not ideal. I, um, I think if I wanted to focus more on 3D, a 35 millimeter would be better. With no magnification I can shoot that 29 millimeter scope no problem I can see the entire animal that I need to see to be able to judge what I'm looking at for my shots and, and shooting but when I have that 4x lens on there I see the rings a little bit better but I don't see much of the animal as well so sometimes that bothers me on longer targets that I can't see the rings well and I'm working off reference points um, or I'm searching around for the rings when I'm getting it full draw so Magnification, you're going to need that, that bigger scope on there, but that's easy nowadays with the way that these quick disconnects work on the scopes, like the, the Axel scope. I, there's a you know twist on and off. You just un, you know loosen off the, the detent screw, slide the scope, how, or you know the housing and the block and everything can come off. You can have another arm block scope, slide it right back on, have it all adjusted for third axis independently from each other, and you're just ready to go. Super simple setup if you wanted to do it that way. I've got two light kits. I can do it that way. You could use the same light kit, but just a different tube and everything on each scope. However you wanted to work that, it would work just fine. That would be the cheapest way to do it versus having two entire sites to be able to use it. Sight bars and scopes and everything. Just work and focus on the scope. Um, anything outside of that that's more extreme, you're probably going to have to adjust a lot more. Or, you know, ideally have two bows, but I know that's not always practical they're expensive doesn't always work like that so 
yeah, that, that would be my, my guidance on it. Try to change as little as possible and really look at your system and see what's interchangeable the easiest without totally messing everything up. Uh, let's see, Boer Joel, quality practice schedule, i.e. form work, uh, well it says worth, but I think it's work, form work, endurance work, drills, etc. Quality practice for me is looking at where I'm struggling and what to focus on. Um, I mean, that, that's such a broad topic and it can be so many things, aiming drills, where you're just holding on target and trying to lose some anticipation and then slowly working in your shooting by being up close and working your way out is a big one with a lot of archers that I talk to. Kind of target panic, kind of aiming anticipation kind of type situation, holding low, holding off the middle, just trying to retrain your brain to hold on there and get comfortable with movement in a gradually increasing environment where you start at maybe five, six, seven yards and work out one, two yards at a time. That's a good one. Um, form work is maybe you focus on raising the arm the correct way and holding it the correct way on the bow side um, like I talked about in the past building bad habits where I was bending at the knee on my front knee when I was drawing working on keeping my legs straight now video yourself that's a big one in so many sports I mean even <laughs> even the other day when I was working with Cole and pitching and, and we were filming and I filmed myself because I was trying to, we have a, a, a tracking ball that shows mile per hour, and I was trying to get to the mile per hour that he pitches at, and, an, and then an average mile per hour that kids his age that he's gonna see pitch at, which he's a little higher than, he's a little bit higher than what most people he's gonna come in contact with, uh, two to five miles per hour higher. Um, but I needed to be able to know like what effort do I need to put out to get to a normal range and his range because he wants to work off live pitching and I can pitch to him off of a mound and he gets to see that and get the speed and you know go through that. But for me, I'm throwing at like half or three quarters of my true speed that I would throw at being at his mile per hour range right now in the in the you know, well his mile per hour range is middle-ish, 50-ish range. And then, you know, he's, he's 10 playing 11U. And um, what we typically are noticing that we see a lot of is upper 40s to low 50s, you know, in that area. And that's, you know, I, 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 I can get more than that. I'm an adult. And um, for me, it was slowing. I had to slow my effort down. And, and I noticed it right away filming myself using that program that um, my timing was really bad and that's why I wasn't being very accurate because my front foot was hitting my my rear arm, my throwing arm wasn't up where it needed to be and it was dragging. You can do that with archery too. Video yourself shooting, video yourself getting to full draw, looking at your shots, but there's different things and ways to look at that video. You can look at it all in one motion. You can do a slow motion video or you can do it frame by frame by just you know using your phone and putting your thumb on there and sliding it back and forth and looking at frame by frame by frame and seeing what your follow through is doing. Follow through tells a lot of where you're breaking down with your form. Um, some of that stuff, you know, I've had a lot of archers that I start working with in coaching and the first thing that I do with you is I ask for, I like a video, a photo at minimum, but I really want a video of you shooting. And I've had a lot of archers do that send me the video and be like, hey, right away, as soon as I watch that video before I send it to you, I saw what I was doing wrong. 
Like this is something I was doing. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. I see it too. Video yourself and then work on certain areas and, you know, look at doing that. Um, endurance work. I mean, endurance work to me is building up gradually because if you do too much at once, you're just going to create soreness or you're going to start breaking down and imparting bad form. Um, work until you start to you know, if you're wanting to focus on endurance and upping your arrow count, work until you start to break down. And then when you start breaking down, you stop. And then just work consistently. Try to shoot every day or every other day or at least like two, three, four times a week. Consistency is what's going to help the endurance. So look at it that way. John Stan, 8910, muscle setup during draw and into your anchor. I'm um, not sure exactly what you mean by that, but for me, muscle setup is looking at the bow arm, being able to lift it up in a natural position. I get the hand just slightly above the shoulder, draw down from there because it's pulling the arm into the socket with the motion of drawing to my, my anchor line or just below my anchor. And that helps me set the shoulder, shoulder joint and then start utilizing my scapula, the muscles around my scapula on that side to help hold it in place and the side muscles, your core, the shoulder muscles. It's hard to really, like you can't, you can't flex those muscles and create a good shot because you get over tense. But if you have a little bit forward weighted front stabilizer system like what I use, then it naturally wants to engage those muscles. So it allows you to be able to naturally flex them to the degree that they need to be and help you with that muscle standpoint. And then when I'm getting to anchor with my arm and you know with my back, I'm shifting the weight as much as I can, the holding weight and what I'm holding at, at full draw to the muscles around my scapula and then right above my scapula on my neck, my back part of my neck muscles back there. And without giving technical terms that people may have to look up online, that's kind of what we're looking at, you know, it's just as far as location. And I really try to relax my forearm at full draw. I try to get into anchor, relax that forearm, apply tension to the middle finger, let off the thumb. All that kind of happens at once for me now. And that's what gets me to my click. But then it allows the hand to be softer. So as I'm using the muscles in my back and then my shoulders and my neck and all that, like those bigger muscle groups, they last longer, they don't fatigue as easily, they'll hold you steadier, especially using the core muscles in your back and your sides. Really, you're gonna be engaging your stomach to a certain degree. That's all gonna help you hold steadier on target and that's what I'm looking at. And I have tension in my forearm and in my hands on both arms, but it's not a lot. And I try to be as soft as I can in my hands because that, that really helps me execute my shots. And it keeps me from torquing the bow or having any misses imparted because my hand is tense and I'm pushing somewhere on the bow with my bow hand. TKLB22 asks, arrow tuning with weights. So I use top hat points and I use screw-in weights that go on the back. They're brass and um, that's what I use in my indoor arrows. I use an arrow program on Target 2 software program where I get close and then I know a range that I want to look at. And it's basically just the green range that I'm focusing on for the most part in that area from stiff to, to soft within that range. And I work just by, you know, use, use glue, heat them up, pull them out, you know, or set them up with different weights. If you've got a dozen arrows, set them up with, you know, three different combinations, 
mark them so you know which arrow is which, shoot them, see how they group. Look at your left and right, so look at your overall grouping size. Track it, point it, and then adjust that weight. And then when you find the weights that work the best for that arrow setup, then you know use that. That's just, I mean, it's pretty simple and straightforward, obviously, but that's kind of what I'm looking at in regards to um, you know what I'm doing there. M Baker 12 says overcoming nerves on first in blank target. That's a good one. That's a really cool question and something that I mean I think we all struggle with. And what I found that helps the most is getting used to shooting blank targets. Hang up some fresh faces, get used to shooting them. The other side of that is that shot's no different than your last shot on a tore up target. It's just not. It doesn't change anything because it's a fresh paper. What changes is our mental state thinking it's a fresh piece of paper. I don't want it to look bad. I want it to look pretty. I want to post it on Instagram or I want a good score and I can't you know, miss and, and I need to do this. Or maybe you think you need to develop a hole in the target in the right spot. You got to leave all that at the door. You got to quit thinking that way. Focus on your shot. If you need your brain to be doing something, focus on something of your shot. Good form, good tension, soft hands, holding on target to execute that shot. That's that's what you need to be focusing on. Don't worry about it, fresh paper or not. Your shot's your shot. And you just kind of have to, you have to be arrogantly confident in your brain to know that I'm gonna go up there and shoot my shot. I know what to expect. I'm not gonna magically go up there and shoot better than what I've been shooting in practice. Whatever happens, happens. I adjust, I adapt. This is a learning experience. And I'm gonna take that from there. If you shoot your first shots on the target and they're perfect, you won. If you shoot your first targets, you know, your first shots on that clean target and you met, you know, mess up, miss, you know, throw something off to the side, well, you still won because why did you do it? Figure it out. Leave that at the door the next time. Focus on something different. Find what works best for you. Some people use a dot or a pin size big enough to cover a lot of that midpoint on that, that pretty clean part, and they never see it, so every target face looks the exact same to them every single shot. I've tried that, it works, but I also like to peek around that and it doesn't work very well for me. I like a little bit smaller aiming so that I can see where I'm at within the spot. I wanna see where I'm at within that 10 ring or the X ring on a five spot. Um, I wanna see where I'm at on the 10 ring on a Vegas. So I use a little bit smaller aiming aperture so you can still see those holes in there. But at the same time, I feel like it helps me aim a little bit smaller on target and I get better results for me personally not as much for me to want to peek around. But it's still just, you know, again, get get used to shooting the blank targets. Get, you know, go on Lancaster's website, buy super cheap targets, get a bunch of them and just hang them up and and shoot and, you know, just focus on that, work on it. You know, utilize what you have. Um, maybe you shoot one shot into each shot and you go pull that arrow and come back and restart and every time you get to a new spot, it's like a brand new you know, round all over again. Um, but a lot of it is just don't stress yourself out because it's clean paper. It's just a target. It's the same as it's going to look at the end of the round. Just go up there and do your job. <laughs> uh, Joey Levesque asks, what causes a high left miss? So 
for me, a couple things can cause it. One is if I start to relax on target and realize that because my pin is going to start going down when I relax because I need the tension to hold myself up. Maybe I pull, you know, kind of push the shot off with my bow hand trying to get the tension back and I'm trying to get back to the middle and I shoot and I miss out the top left. That's one for me. Another one for me is my release hand. Um, kind of the same scenario can happen on that and I'll start pulling down for some reason and I'm trying to get the bow to come back up, which pulling down is wrong if you need to increase tension, just linear. It's gonna pull the bow back up as you increase tension, but I've noticed that I'll pull my hand down and away from my face and it'll cause that arrow to miss high left. Um, a lot of that is finding what shot execution works best for you. When I try to relax my hand, I miss left because my hand comes out away from my face. Some of it's alignment, loop length, the way you're holding the release, Anchor with the mid knuckles on your hand, not the back part of your hand, because when you anchor with the back part of those knuckles on the, the base of your hand, look at yourself when you're shooting, you're bending your wrist and you're changing your hand placement and it will pull and not in a not linear direction. It will pull you off the target. And you may not see your pin come off the target, but you're pulling the back of the arrow off the target. When you do that, the back of the arrow, your release hand has way more influence into that arrow impact downrange than anything else so look for that use the mid knuckles on your hand because you can you know align your your hand flat and straight and pull straight through that's a huge one a lot of people that don't do that and i show them that and help them through that the first time it's like that light bulb moment that clicks on them and all of a sudden they're good you know it helps and it eliminates the problem right away or the majority of the problem right away another one could be the bow on a hybrid cam system or even a dual cam system that's not um, creep tuned to where you know if you're letting off it could hit a little bit high if you're pulling too hard it could hit high because your cams aren't synced up in time the correct way for your grip pressures and the way that you're shooting creep tune the bow that could be a big one or it could be you collapsing um, John Dudley talks about this when he was using his Hoyts it's a hybrid system when you creep on those the arrow is going to hit high he had a tendency to hit high left I did the same thing with them um, just kind of how that would work, but that's some things that I would look for on that. Uh, D-A-M-T-D-I, thoughts on tuning indoor bows? Do you go for a bullet hole, line tune, walk back, etc.? I tune every bow the same. The distances change depending on the type of game that I'm playing, but I tune them all the same. I take my arrows as a bear shaft, shoot them through paper from six feet, two yards. I, um, well, let me back up. I get a baseline tune on my bow. Arrow rest in the middle of the riser and the limbs. Sometimes that's different. If you have to pick one or the other, pick the limb bolts because that's what's going to matter the most. That's string path. Um, or from what I can tell, what matters the most. I may be wrong. I'm not an engineer. <laughs> um, I try to get both cams hitting at the same time. I don't worry about cam lean. I'm going to shoot the bow through paper and see what tear I get. And then I adjust from there. If I'm hitting to the right or having a right tear, so my bear shaft is hitting left, happens a lot on me. I know that I need to move my cams to the right. If it's just a barely tiny little tear, I'll use my rest and micro adjust it. If it's hitting to the left, move your cam the direction of the tear, not hitting to the left, hitting to the right, left tear. I'm sorry, I'm still thinking paper. If you get a left tear, you move your cams to the left. If it's a small one, adjust your rest. Adjust the rest in for a left tear, out for a right tear, for a right-handed shooter. Um, your 
you're aligning everything that way. But there's a couple different ways to look at it. You may not want to do a ton of movement on the rest and the, the cams until you shoot a few bear shafts through target and, and spine index them. So I shoot them, they're marked, I know which side is what, I adjust it by turning the knock a little bit, or I just flip it 180, shoot the arrow again, see what happens, adjust it in 90 degree angles from there, and then adjust it down until that arrow is closest as I can to a bullet hole. Once I do that, I get all my other arrows and do the same thing. And I'm doing two things here. I'm adjusting the arrow to where they're all flexing out of the bow the exact same way. That helps on consistency. The spine is reacting the same way coming out of the bow. I'm getting the easiest tear that I can based off the bow setup. So I'm moving everything as small as possible after that. Keeps you from getting way out of whack with things. Keeps you from having to move everything a whole lot. Um, and then from that point, I'm trying to get a bullet hole in paper. Once I get them all spine indexed, I try to get a bullet hole with my tuning. Doesn't always happen. Sometimes bows, the knock travel is just not okay. It's not gonna work. Um, sometimes the spine is just too far off. If you're using crazy stiff indoor arrows that don't have different spine weights on them um, or spine markings on them, um, looking at that. So I try to get a bullet hole, doesn't always happen. I try to get as close as I can um, with the bear shaft. You gotta work on form with this too. Natural grip is good. Make sure your grip pressure is, is solid to start with. Make sure your type of grip style is solid to start with. I've got posts on that where I talk about it, what I prefer to do, what I teach to do. Um, make sure you're not doing anything different than what you normally would. Face pressure off the bow, not relaxing, not overshooting, You know, just making a normal shot. And then from that point, Fletch the arrows, shoot them through paper again, make sure I'm not getting any kind of you know crazy kicks, contact, maybe get some spray foot powder, spray it on the arrow, make sure it's not contacting anything, make sure it's all working, micro adjust the knock a little bit more. If I need to adjust for clearance, that's fine, it'll work. And um, from that point, I'm, I'm done. I shoot it six feet through paper, that's all I do. I go outside or I go to the range. Um, if I'm working on an indoor setup, I prefer to shoot at 20 yards for my first shot, that adjusts my sights. Step back to 30 or 40 yards, depending on the arrow weight, size of the target, um, what I can get to in the range, and then I adjust my rest. And then I go back and forth until everything's lined up. And it's just micro adjustments, it's small adjustments, it's not big ones. If you did a really good job on paper, you're not gonna have to worry about this. Um, I like to torque tune. I've talked about this in some of my instructional videos and some of my YouTube videos. Um, the instructional videos that I sell have a, a really good guidance on it. I've got a pretty good guidance on YouTube now too. Um, that helps a lot. I, I really think torque tuning, I'm a big believer in that. Um, and then I group tune. And group tuning is just micro small adjustments on the rest, up, down, left, and right until you get flyers gone until you get the group size you think you're going to get and that's going to change as your skill increases and it changes day to day some days you shoot better than others so don't just do it all in one day make sure you're doing this all in a good scenario don't rush um that's that's kind of my ideas and i do that the same on all of them i get back a little bit further on an outdoor setup but that's the general idea of what i do uh jason bory asks mental preparation for tournaments so I have a YouTube video that's out now that was previously a Patreon-only video. I released it out in a group of uh, videos recently. If you go on my YouTube channel and check that out, it um, talks about dealing with 
tournament nerves and just kind of looking at it. But I think it also goes back to like that clean face talk that we had earlier is um, prepare yourself and practice, know what you're going to shoot. That creates confidence and don't go into the tournament with any unrealistic expectations. Use your tournament as a learning experience. It's practice for the next one. And if you'll think of it that way, it's so much easier. It's not life or death. We do this for fun. One tournament is practice for the next. So just, you know, watch that video. That's kind of my other ideas on it and just my thoughts. Tommy Swart asks, um, exercises specifically for archery, gym exercises specifically for archery. Um, I, I actually went through this. I think, Tommy, you asked this on a live feed that I did the other day. Someone did. I think it was you. But I'm going to go through it briefly here again. One that I like to do, and I've videoed this and put it on my YouTube channel as a Tuesday's tip of the week, is getting weights, standing straight up, lifting up to your side, um, you know, just straight up with the weight, the dumbbell, keeping your hand at level of your shoulder, slightly below it, puts a little bit more strain on the muscle system. You're holding the weight more. Focus on using your back and your shoulder and your neck muscles to lift the arm up and then hold it still. Hold it there for like a second, lower it slowly. Fight the weight when you lower it down because that's what we're looking at for archery. That's a good one. I love that one. That's the one that I get the most out of for holding on target. Um, John Dudley has a video that he put out recently over, um, it's basically a, a ball. I think he has a soccer ball that's got some air taken out of it. He puts it up on the wall, pushes into it, rolls his hand around, talks about the motion on that using that for the small stabilizing muscles in the shoulder. I haven't done this yet, but I can see how that would be extremely um, effective in burning out those little muscles inside your shoulder and then strengthening them, which is, that's your stabilizing muscles. Smaller muscle groups in the shoulder joint, you need those to be stronger. So I'm gonna look into that and start that one. I think that's a good one too. Um, that's the ones that I use. Outside of that, just general exercises. You can do a lot with body weight exercises, pull-ups, chin-ups push-ups, um, you know, things like that. Simulate the draw if you want to on a cable machine. I try to stay away from simulating the draw though because drawing the bow is gonna be different and, and sometimes just shooting is your best bet. But I don't wanna overtax the muscle of drawing the bow in that motion because it'll just wear the shoulder down if you're doing it incorrectly. So just try to be careful in your exercises. Um, just general physical condition will help. And then the other one that a lot of people overlook is getting your cardio in. And that's important because when we're nervous, whether we're hunting or shooting a tournament, our heart rate spikes. The better in shape we are cardiovascular wise, the lower our resting heart rate is, the lower it will be in those moments. And if you can get your heart rate to slow a little bit and be a little less intense, it'll help you with your hold on target. The faster the heart rate, the more you see it in your sight. The harder the heartbeat, the more you see it in your sight. So if you can control just that, that, that movement there by doing that, by helping you with you know cardiovascular-wise, by, by exercising, that'll help. Now that's... That's you personally, and I'm not recommending anything for that because you're dealing with your heart and you can get in a lot of trouble like that. You know, you always see those disclaimers. Consult your physician first. There's a lot of different exercises. Do it smart, do it safe, build into it slowly. I, I'm not a big believer in overworking yourself. It doesn't do any good. 
You're just you're you're stressing the body and you're putting in a, an unnecessary strain on it. We're not needing to do that. But being an athlete will help you in archery because I mean, like Braden Galantine's talked about it in the past, and I I feel the same way. And I'm around his age. You look at the younger archers coming into our sport. They are no longer people that just weren't good at stick and ball sports and they decided to do archery. These are athletic kids, kids like Cole, that can go out there and play select baseball at a majors level and play at the highest ability and perform and, you know, he can compete. That kid is super athletic. He can shoot a bow extremely well. No more than he practices, no more than he shoots. He can just pick the bow up here at the house, put some arrows in the middle of the target, put it down, may not touch it again for three months. But his body is in really good shape. He has really good balance. His core is really good. He doesn't stress out in a lot of situations because he's in a lot of those situations. These are the kids coming up. And if we're gonna compete against them, we have to be like them. And I mean, physical ability is, is there and we're not all gifted with the same physical ability. But we can all put the work and the effort in consistently to be able to get as good as we can personally. Alrighty guys, last question here. It's Mac Ruser. Indoor scopes and lenses for indoor tournaments where no electronics are permitted. It's going to be a hard one for me to answer because I don't do that. I hated lenses because I couldn't see my pin or the dot in a dark range for the longest time. And I didn't use a lens because of that. I started using them, but then I started using a lighted fiber. So I can tell you who I would talk to for that question. His name is Chuck Cooley. He is, um, he, I think he's co-owner still, maybe not. I know they, the, there's AAE owns Feather Vision now, I believe. I don't know how all that works anymore. I didn't get into the logistics of it, but he still works with Feather Vision lenses. He's an optometrist. He's incredibly smart and he can guide you and help you with that because he's been there, done that, and I haven't. That's who I would go to because for me personally, I use a 4X lens. I see some movement, it's not a lot. I can see the target. I saw the target already really well. Um, the lens helps me see like really detailed versions of the target with a 4X. A lot of people use a 6X indoors. I wouldn't start there, especially if you're not used to lens because you see more movement and it'll freak you out. Um, but I use a 4X, it's been a great deal. Um, I use a specialty archery peep. I can adjust aperture sizes on that to see what size that I needed. And from there, I knew what size aperture to get for a clarifier. Clarifier helped clear up the, you know, the, the sight picture that of what I was seeing, see the target a little bit clearer. I think I'm using a half, uh, 0.5 with that 4X. Some people get away with no clarifier at all with the 4X lens, it's a little bit lower power. Some people need a 1X or need a number one clarifier rather. It really depends on your draw length, your scope length, your, your sight length rather for how far that scope is away from your face, how far the peep is away from your face with your string angle, how your eyes look and, and perceive things. Everybody's different, so you have to kind of test with that and work with it, but um, that's personally what I did. It doesn't get too dark um, in, in situations, and with the light of pen, I see it perfectly. So that wraps up the podcast today. Ladies and gentlemen, I uh, went over an hour. That was a long one for me, not a long one for a lot of people, but it's kind of getting there. And kind of good to circle back around to the Patreon stuff. I'm only allowed so many uh, minutes, basically, is how I like to look at it, of podcasts. 
and if I reach over that limit, Podbean on my free plan is gonna say that's all you got. So I've tried to keep these pretty short. This one is longer because it needed to be. I would rather probably do longer ones like this or mix them in here and there. But again, that's kind of where that Patreon stuff comes in. Like I like to do these podcasts and if you're liking them too, that support on there is gonna allow me to be able to pay for an ongoing subscription to buy a bigger you know, memory bank with Podbean to where I can you know, create longer podcasts and they'll be able to function and, and stay on there and I won't have to worry about getting to a certain point and having to stop. You know, I can continue to put these out more frequently throughout the week, throughout the month and get more information to you. So um, if that's something that you feel in your heart that you wanna do, um, you know, not to sound like a church speech, but if you feel compelled to do that and you want to do that, I, I mean, it's super appreciated, not just from me, but from the people that listen to these podcasts and watch the videos, people like yourself. But I appreciate everybody for listening to this today, and I hope you got some good nuggets out of this. Look for those raffles. It's going to be fun. I'm way over on time for when I was going to announce the raffle today, but I'm still around the 12 noon time because I went too long on this podcast, guys. So you're getting um, priority right now, but I'm about to launch that first raffle and get that out there. So y'all have a good day, good weekend, and I'll talk to you soon.